This is First Farragut United Methodist Church's podcast. Thank you for joining us as we continue with our series, Real Life, Real Resurrection. And now here's Martha with our message. Our scripture this morning is from the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. It is one of the stories one of the stories of, of the sightings of Jesus on the first Resurrection Sunday. This is our, our third version of the stories on the Resurrection Sunday in this third Easter Sunday of our season. There's a reason for that with our real life, real resurrection sermon series that we're in. But I invite you to hear these words beginning in verse 36 from the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses The prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Apparently, resurrection must be rather hungry business. It must work up an appetite. Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, have you anything to eat? To this point in the stories that we're told, Jesus hadn't eaten anything since Thursday evening since what we call the Last Supper when he gathered with his disciples in the upper room for that last meal. It's been three days since he's eaten. He comes to his disciples and he says, have you anything to eat? And they give him broiled fish. Three days. Where's the steak? Where's, what's the, where's the beef? Remember that? Where's the filet mignon? Where's the ribeye? Where's the piping hot lasagna out of the oven? Broiled fish? Really? As it happens, broiled fish is quite an ordinary dish for the ancient world, especially for many of these people who were actually fishermen. We're looking at what the resurrection of Jesus has to do with real, ordinary life. Throughout this sermon series, that's the whole point, is what does resurrection have to do with real, ordinary life right now, today? 
What we see in this story is that Jesus chooses an ordinary practice to reveal some extraordinary things. Those first few followers needed and wanted to learn how to live in a post-resurrection world just like we do. They'd figured out at this point, okay, Jesus is alive. They had seen him, but what does that mean? So far as we've been walking through this, through this series, we've seen that believing in Jesus and the resurrection and experiencing resurrection is a process. We started our journey on Easter Sunday looking at the Gospel of Mark, the 16th chapter of Mark's Gospel, where three women had gone to the tomb only to find it empty, and Mark in its original form stops right there. No one actually saw Jesus alive at that point. So they were in a state of confusion and wondering. When it comes to experiencing and believing in resurrection, there's always a state of confusion and wondering what it means. So last week we moved to the Gospel of John where we saw things went just a little bit of a step further. The story that we read last week in the 20th chapter was the same day, the same first Easter Sunday when people had realized the tomb was empty, but then Jesus had come and he had appeared to his disciples behind closed doors on that Sunday, and then again a week later. They had the proof that they needed, but they were still stuck behind closed doors. What we saw last week is that after Jesus said, I send you just as the Father has sent me, they hadn't gone anywhere. Showing us that believing and following are two different things. I once heard a gentleman, I can't remember who it was, but I once heard a gentleman introduce himself as a believer and a follower of Jesus. We can believe all we want, but following is what we're also called to do. Today's scripture from the 24th chapter of Luke's gospel wrestles with the question of proof and it's a very similar story to what we read last week in the 20th chapter of John's gospel. But there's an example in here of what following means. Now to set this up a little bit, if we were to start and read all the way at the beginning of the, of the chapter, the 24th chapter of Luke, we would see that it is Easter Sunday. Some women have gone to the tomb. They found it empty. Jesus appears to them. And then later in that day, two of Jesus' followers, two of his disciples, are walking along a road to a town called Emmaus. While they're walking, a person, a man comes along and starts walking with them and just starts talking with them. What they don't realize is that the person walking with them is Jesus. Until they get to this town called Emmaus and they share a meal in the breaking of the bread and suddenly they realize that it's Jesus who has been with them all this time. And then Jesus disappears. Helpful, right? So in their excitement, they run all the way back to Jerusalem and they go to the room where all of the other disciples are and they start telling them this, which is where our scripture picks up. They're telling them, hey, we've seen Jesus. He's alive. And they're excited. And the scripture says, while they're talking about this, Jesus comes and stands among them. And they're startled and they're frightened because they think they've seen a ghost, as would any of us. But Jesus says, why are you startled and frightened? Look, here's my hands. Here's my feet. 
Then he goes on and, and we're told that yet still in their joy, because they could see Jesus, they were still disbelieving and wondering. They had all the proof they needed, but they wondered. Which is when Jesus says, have you anything to eat? Got fish is what Jesus says. Not exactly. So they give him some food. Because if Jesus is hungry, then he's not the disembodied ghost that they seem to think he is. Often this story is used to illustrate that Jesus was both physically and spiritually raised to new life. But there's more to it. And it begins with hunger. Hunger is a physical experience. It is a, a literal problem in our world. If we look at world global statistics, we will see that the majority of the world is not properly nourished, globally speaking. Hunger is a real problem. Physical hunger is a real problem. But there's also a hunger for understanding. There's also a hunger within all of us to be accepted, known, loved, and understood. The disciples had something that all of us, centuries of people, have longed for ever since. They had proof, but they didn't understand what it meant. But as they shared this meal with broiled fish, we're told that Jesus began to open their minds to understanding. They wanted a simple, logical explanation to what was happening. Sometimes, a simple, logical explanation just isn't possible. But understanding, over time, may be. Complex situations often require complex solutions. And complex solutions often begin with understanding. Monday afternoon, I pulled into my garage. I'd been driving, and my phone had been vibrating. I didn't look at it. I want credit for that. While I was driving, I didn't look at it. But my phone had been vibrating, and finally, as soon as I got into my garage, I picked up my phone, and I looked at it. There were several, there were several texts from some clergy colleagues and I who are sort of in a, a group text, and the first one that I saw said this, Lord, in your mercy... Now, I'm clergy, so I'm smart enough to know when these guys are texting me that, something's happened. So I began to scroll through the text, and I saw a, a Twitter link to what had happened in East Knoxville. So I went inside. Jordan was already home. She was on the couch doing something with her phone. I said, honey, I'm sorry. I need to turn the TV on. I need to see what's happened. So I turn the TV on, start hearing what's happening, and she asked me a very revealing question. The tone was very revealing. She asked me, is that here in Knoxville? I said, yes, honey, it's not very far from where we are right now. In fact, it's the fifth time it's happened in that community since January. And the next question made my stomach drop. She said, why do the parents send their kids to that school? And I want to be 100% transparent with you in my response, and you can ask her how I responded. I said, honey, not all of them have the option 
of packing up and selling their house and moving 2.3 miles down the road to make sure that you get in one of the best high schools in Knoxville like we did. They don't have that option. And that's their community. That's where they live. That's where their friends, their family, their support is. But the conversation reminded me of another conversation from three years prior. Many of you probably remember there was three, I guess, I guess it was probably four or five years ago, the discussion started happening about building two new middle schools, one of which was Hardin Valley Middle. We were at the time zoned for Hardin Valley Elementary, but there was no middle school at the time. So there was a lot of questions, some feeder schools here from Farragut, from Hard Valley, from Carnes, Cedar Bluff, and I think some others. Of all of the parents were questioning, well, how is this zoning going to work? So we held, they held a big meeting at Hardin Valley Elementary School in the gymnasium to talk about the zoning. It was packed. Lots of parents had questions. You could hear their concerns were, how am I going to get from this school to this school and this kid to this school and the other kid that goes to this one and all of the traffic. We all know traffic in Hardin Valley is ugly. It was an hour and a half conversation, and on and on it went. And at the end of the meeting, there was a lady who was sitting in the back when things were all wrapping up and everybody had said their, had had their say, this African-American woman, I don't know exactly what school district she was from, but it was clear she was from a, an inner city school district. She spoke up very graciously. I don't remember exactly what she said, but it was something like this. I am grateful that you are getting a new school. All of our Children, our students, deserve the best. I simply ask that you consider those in other areas. Again, it was she said something way more profound than that, but that's what I remember. And I sat there and I hung my head because it occurred to me that there was a mother, more so than I probably ever will, who lives every day wondering if her children will come home safely from school. We all have that worry, yes. But her level of worry was massively different than mine. She's concerned that her children won't come home safely. The majority of us in that gymnasium were worried about traffic flow. What she did that day with her presence and with her words was simply witness. She risked the familiarity of, of inner city, probably a predominantly African-American community, got into her car, drove all the way out to Hardin Valley, sat through an hour and a half of that meeting, listened to everything everyone had to say, and then she simply spoke her experience. I wonder how many of us are willing to give up an afternoon or an evening, drive to the Austin East community, and listen. Listen to the teachers, to the administrators, to the families, to the officers who serve in that community. 
as Jesus met with these disciples and they began to open their minds to understanding, he also said to them, you are witnesses. A witness does exactly what that woman did that day. A witness risks entering into relationship, risks leaving his or her comfort zone to go into fellowship, to listen to others, and to share experience. Witnessing seeks to understand first. And understanding situations leads to change. Understanding complex situations, especially in the light of resurrection power, can lead to complex solutions. The next day, Tuesday of this last week, I had a conversation with a friend of mine. And she reminded me of John Becker's words, I think, that had been spoken the day before. He said, this is not an Austin East issue. This is a Knoxville issue. We could take that a little further and we could say this is not a political issue. This is not a gun violence or a gun law issue. This is not a racist issue. This is not an us or them issue. This is not a police issue, a poverty or a privilege issue. It is not a liberals or Democrats issue. Liberals or Republicans. It is, however, a gospel issue. Because Jesus said the greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And what? Love your neighbor. Our friends in East Knoxville are our neighbor. Just as much as the person sitting next to you or the neighbor next door for those of you at home. Love God. Love neighbor. It's that simple. The factors leading to the experience in the Austin East community and around the country are complex. So complex, in fact, that we get overwhelmed just thinking about what to do, where to go, how can we help, and we become paralyzed. I dare say all of us in this room and those gathered at home, our hearts broke Monday. I don't, I don't think there's a single soul in here that just went on about their business and didn't think about it. But many of us over a couple of weeks will begin to go on about our business. But our friends in the Austin East community are still there. It's still their life. Three years have passed since that woman shared in that elementary gymnasium. Three years. And clearly it touched me, it stirred me, I remember it. And I'll even pat myself on the back and tell you that I went and talked to her and thanked her for her comments, but do you know what I've done since then? Nothing. I might have preached a couple of good sermons between now and then, but I've really done nothing. So what do we do? Well, we borrow from Jesus and we start with broiled fish. It's easy for us to read this story from the Gospel of Luke and think that it's yet more proof that Jesus is alive. But if we view it through a first century lens, 
we'll see what Jesus was modeling was a gesture of acceptance and of union. Jesus was demonstrating to them what really matters in a post-resurrection world, and that is this. Transformation doesn't happen with evidence and reasoning. It begins with relationship, with fellowship, with seeking to understanding. Broiled fish is simply a metaphor to help us see we have to start small. And in the ordinary ways and means available to us, there are large organizations, gratefully so, civil and religious, who will have all sorts of opportunities for people to participate and engage in relationship. And we as a congregation need to participate in those. And as individuals, absolutely we need to do that. But we also need to challenge ourselves daily to seek out individual broiled fish relationships. Small, plain, ordinary, but also outside of our comfort zone. To seek out relationships that seek to understand. Not fix, not rescue, but seeks to understand each other. Because with understanding, comes transformation. Jesus said to them, you are my witnesses. You are Jesus' witnesses. Jesus sent his disciples. Just as the Father has sent me, he said, I send you. He says the same to us. Resurrection, transformation, happens when we start building relationships and seeking to understand each other. You are his witnesses. Where, how, when, and whom will you seek relationship to bring healing? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I invite you to join me if you would like, excuse me, in an Easter affirmation of faith. We do this affirmation of faith together because when we worship, this isn't about me speaking to you or or our, our, our worship leaders singing to us. It's about us participating in worship together. So I invite you, if you feel so led, to join me in this Easter affirmation of faith. We muddled our way through it last week because it's a little different, isn't it? but that's okay. I invite you to join me. In spite of many unanswered questions, we believe. I believe in the living God, the joy and creator of the universe, who is the pulse and purpose of all things seen and unseen, who through countless ages has provided for us many liberators and tirelessly seeks to bring victory out of defeat and life out of decay. I believe in Jesus the Christ, God's true Son, who is bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, who took upon himself the healing of the human race, who bearing the burden of our sins, carried his cross 
who was betrayed, crucified, dead, and buried in a borrowed tomb, who on the third day was found to be gloriously alive. I believe in the Holy Spirit, who dwells within and among all who cherish Christ, who brings hope out of despair, love out of apathy, and joy out of sorrow, who constantly regenerates and reforms Christ's church, that it may always be the present body of the risen Christ, loving the world through prayer, word, and deed. I believe that even I am caught up in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ and that nothing in life or death can separate us from his love and joy. In spite of unanswered questions, yes, we believe. Amen. As we continue in worship and are led in song, I invite you to respond. This is usually a time which we respond by the giving of God's tithes and our offerings. For those of you in the building, we cannot pass the offering, but there is a box at the back of the worship center. You're welcome to drop it in. You may also text to give to the number that I think is somewhere, or maybe not. It's here somewhere. But I invite you to respond in worshiping. You may stand as we respond. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us next week as we continue our series, Real Life, Real Resurrection. See you then.